Greetings and welcome to another episode of Stamper Cinema. As always, I am your host. My name is Andrew. Thank you very much for downloading this latest episode. And in this week's chapter, we are going to be discussing screenwriting. That's right. I've got a screenplay consultant in Naomi Beatty here. She's going to tell us a little bit about herself, a little bit about what she's been working on, what it like, what what it's like to be a screenplay consultant and all of that that it entails. And then we're going to have a surface level conversation about 2022's A24 release. X. That was a mouthful. 2022's A24's release X. Anyway, the film is called X. It came out in 2022 from the studio A24. Now, A24 does a lot of freaking kick-ass horror films, and which is pretty on brand because if you're listening to this around the time of recording, we're in October. So this is going to be a very, very horror-adjacent conversation, but that's okay. I'm going to start it off a little bit a little bit safe. So if you aren't a big horror film junkie like myself or Naomi, as we're about to find out, don't worry. Don't worry. This isn't going to be a super scary conversation. In fact, it's going to be a very enlightening conversation for many of you as we're just going to really, the bulk of this is we're going to be talking about screenwriting. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a little while, you know that is something that is very much a major passion of mine as being a a screen a bit of a screenwriter uh, myself so let's have some fun and let's get into this discussion with naomi so naomi thank you so much for for being on the show i'm really excited to talk to you i you know just since our introduction i've had the opportunity to read through your bio and like myself you're a big like screenwriting like junkie so i just wanted to know a little bit about that But before we get into it, if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself to our listeners, who you are and all that fun stuff, because I'm, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm really fascinated just to have this conversation with you. Yeah, sure. Um, Well, my name's Naomi Beatty and I work as a um, screenplay consultant and screenwriting teacher mostly. Um, I basically work one-on-one with writers, producers, and directors to get their projects into shape, um, basically get their projects to whatever point they're, they're trying to get them, right? So whether that's ready to send out looking for representation or they're submitting to fellowships or, you know, if they're um, trying to independently produce and they're looking for money, that, you know, whatever they're trying to do, I'm, I'm there to help them kind of get their projects ready to go. And it's always, a, you know, I, I help them on the script level. So it's working with people on their screenplays or um, TV scripts. Um, that's what I do full time for a job. Um, and then uh, personally, I'm you know I'm an Oregon kid. I grew up in Oregon and moved to LA a couple of decades ago, and um, have you know enjoyed sunny Southern California ever since then. I got to tell you, just I mean, there's an element of of envy that goes into it as the fact that I mean, more or less, you're getting paid to read screen uh, read screenplays and talk to people about that. So. Kudos to you. Uh, I am curious just to know, like, how did how did that come to be? You know, like, how did you get to where you are today? Because that's quite fascinating. Thanks. Yeah. Um, well, when I moved to L.A., I, I moved to work in the entertainment industry. I, you know, had graduated college and I just was um, introduced to the idea that people made <laughs> films uh, after college. Like I was really late coming to movies. My My family growing up, we were big readers, but we didn't watch a lot of TV or see a lot of movies. Um, so I was introduced to it after I graduated 
uh, college, I started working for a small local commercial production company. And of course, all of the directors that we were working with were making short films. And so I started helping them on the side, um, both, you know, reading their scripts and kind of like helping them figure out production and then also helping them submit to festivals and things like that. So I kind of got a little taste of it there, a little taste of filmmaking. And that, you know, made me want to move to LA. I was like, I'm going to go work in the entertainment business. And, um, and so I did. So I kind of got my start working for a producer manager. And then I went on to work for uh, Maverick Films, which is Madonna and Guy O'Sears, O'Series production company. And then after that, I worked for Blake Snyder on his second Save the Cat book. So that was, um, that was a different capacity. At Maverick, I worked in development. So I was, again, working with writers and reading scripts and developing material and looking for projects. And then working for Blake, it was watching movies and analyzing movies and kind of breaking down the structure so that he could write about them. Now, both of those are extremely, uh, to use my terminology, fucking awesome. Um, so like, did you, I don't know, did you, did you have like, um, what was kind of like your big takeaways from like the development side to now the, the, the out and out script reading side? Like, did you, yeah, I'm just, yeah, more than anything, just kind of like, what are your takeaways from that? Well, the, I think the, um, the lesson that sticks out in my mind the most from working in development, I mean, I learned so much there. I learned so much about the industry and I learned so much about just the development process and then also story and, and all of that stuff. There's, it was a big learning experience for me. But the lesson that stands out the most was my, uh, the guy that I worked for, his name's Mark Morgan. He, you know, I would get really excited about scripts that I read. And I, you know, I, like I said, a big reader, I would love reading things. And so I, it's easy for me to fall in love with a script and I would bring him projects. And I distinctly remember him (laughs) sort of looking me in the eye and being like, yeah, but who's the audience for this? And I was like, oh, that's right. We're making a product for people to see, like people have to want to see this. It's not just that the script is well-written and, you know, I love the prose or, you know, the, there's a character that really is really funny or whatever. It's a whole product that you have to look at it as a complete thing. And like, who can you sell this to? Because ultimately it's a business, you know, who's, who wants to see this, you know? So that, um, that was a big uh, lesson that always stood out in my mind. And it's, a, it's something you have to keep in mind when you're looking for, for material, you know? Now, obviously, I want to transition to your, your current venture now, which is writeandco.com, right? Mm-hmm. What was the, the, the origin story for that, that you decided that you're like, you know what, I want to, I want to, I want to start this, this enterprise? Yeah, after I uh, worked for Blake on his book, people just started coming to me asking me to read their scripts and give them feedback. So I sort of started doing it independently, just that way, because people were asking me to do it. Um, And it just sort of snowballed, it continued to grow. I think I've, you know, I've been uh, doing it independently, you know, consulting since about 2010. And I officially sort of started the company in like 2015. So I did it sort of full time independently for about five years before I was like, oh, I guess this is my job now. (laughs) So I need to make it official. So yeah, so I, you know, I, it's, I'll be honest, it's a terrible name. It was like the first thing that I came up with and I bought the URL. And then I was like, I guess this is my company name now. Uh, It's so hard to like explain to people. So I should probably change it at some point, but it is what it is now. So um, (laughs) yeah. Go ahead. 
No, I, I think it's great. I mean, you just mentioned as far as like changing names, how like how common is it that you hear once something is created that where people look back like, I don't know why I called it that. I mean, just to use, uh, you know, I was just um, talking to somebody about Studio 666 and then got in conversation with Dave Grohl and the band Foo Fighters. And that's like one of his big things is like, I don't know why the hell like I chose to come up with this name for my band. And They've been around for 30 years and he hates his band name, but you know, it's just, I'm just always fascinated, you know, just, uh, how a name comes to be. And then, you know, that, that's just the name. I mean, I've just got a, a little, a little podcast and I just went with an alliteration with my last name. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to talk about movies and talk about the cinema. Well, my last name starts with uh, that sound. So stamp for cinema. There you go. So yeah. just that whole idea of how, how names come to be. I just, I just love that. But that works. I think at least it says what it is. And, um, you know, I had not heard that story about Foo Fighters and Dave Grohl, but I'll, con- I'll count myself in good company then if he hates his band name too. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I mean, now that could just be a little segue into any time that ever comes up and you're like, well, you know, what's in a name anyway. I mean, look at Dave Grohl and Foo Fighters. I mean, that's one of the most successful bands in the past 30 years. And he looks back at like, why the hell did I even come up with the same? That's funny. So yep. <laughs> now I am curious, obviously you read a ton of screenplays and people come to you with the, their screenplays. I mean, I, 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 you know, kick myself if I didn't at least ask, like, have you made a go for it yourself? Have you ever written your own screenplay or screenplays? Well, it's funny you ask. So when I was working in development, I did have an interest in screenwriting and I took classes, you know, I took screenwriting classes. I read a ton of screenwriting books. It actually all sort of um, helped me in development as well, just learning about, you know, how a screenplay is put together and what makes it work. Um, So I have that sort of, you know, self-taught background as a screenwriter as well. And I have written scripts. I've actually been hired to write some things, um, you know, write projects for other people, their ideas, not my original stuff. Um, And I, I actually have a project that um, I have a story by credit on right now that is, that's been optioned, but I'm not, I don't consider myself necessarily a screenwriter, although I have some experience in that role, you know? Sure, sure, sure. Now you just talked about, uh, as far as what works and I mean, it just comes up to like a natural like segue. I mean, you, you read a lot and what, let's see, how do I want to, how do I want to ask? What do you, when you, when it comes to like what works, what are some of those things that don't work or what are some of those like big traps that you see a lot of inexperienced writers fall into? That is a good question. Um, I always say that every screenplay has its own unique challenges. So I think it's, it's a little bit hard to say like, what are the, you know, the big problems that you see kind of commonly across all scripts, but the very, very common kind of, um, I think there are sort of common issues that you tend to see in certain sections of the script, right? So like act one, uh, very often, whatever the specific problem is, it kind of falls under the umbrella of like the context that we need to, to go on this journey or to understand what we're about to see or to be invested in what we're about to see hasn't been established, right? Because it's all about doing that in act one. Um, in act two, it's like there isn't a consistent and urgent pursuit of a thing, (laughs) you know, like a a goal or an end point of some sort, which is sort of like, that is what we're watching. We're kind of like, we need something to track in act two. And so not having that, I think is kind of the big, 
you know, the big umbrella problem that a lot of other things fall under. Um, and then I think the big thing in act three is like resolving the plot, but, um, this is tricky, I think to say, but it's like having a character arc that doesn't feel earned. It's like, you know, when you're, when you are learning about screenwriting, you learn like, you know, having a character that develops over the course and changes over the course of the experience and, you know, ends up a different person than they were at the beginning. Like that's, that's a useful thing to have in your script. It gives it meaning, it gives it emotion and all that stuff. Right. But, um, knowing that and then executing the stages of that change, I think is really difficult. And so I think, uh, sometimes in, you know, early drafts or, um, for scripts from people who are still kind of learning how to put it all together, what you see a lot is like a character arc that a character who feels changed at the end, but you don't really understand how they got there. <laughs> you know, they, you don't, you didn't really mm-hmm. see the change happen over the course of the story. Right. Obviously, you know, with, with, working with a, a myriad of different types of writers, you know, what do you, what do you typically see? What are, I mean, do you find that story kind of is very, very varied or do you see a lot of people kind of telling the same type of stories? Like what, what do you see just in your, just your reading? What are, what are people writing? Gosh, I, I feel like there's such a wide variety. Um, I mean, you know, there are certain genres I think that I see more of than others, like uh, horror I see quite a bit of and um, comedy I see quite a bit of, like sort of broader comedy. Um, so I think those are just two really popular genres, probably because those are maybe genres that got people excited about movies to begin with, you know, so they mm-hmm. when they start screenwriting, they want to write those as well. Um, but in terms of stories, I think it's it's all over. Like there are so many... I mean, I guess the, you know, it's the famous saying is like, there's, there are no new ideas, but I feel like I've never read the same idea twice. If you know what I mean? Like I've read thousands of scripts and I've never like, especially from clients and students, I've never read one and then read a second that had like a similar story. And I was like, Oh oh no, that's too, that's too similar to the, you know, the first one that I read. I've never had that happen. Are there any like, uh, because obviously you're very, very well read. You said it's kind of like part of your passion. So I imagine you've also, in addition to reading Save the Cat, I imagine you've read other screenwriting books. So for those that are aspiring writers, what type of texts do you recommend they they look at? In addition to obviously researching out, you know, write and co. <laughs> sure. Um, well, I do recommend Save the Cat, actually, because I think it's a very accessible way to get an overview of sort of how a story works and how to put a story together in a screenplay. So I do recommend that one, even though I know there are plenty of people who think it's, you know, too formulaic or, or, um, too simple or or something like that. I think if you're just starting out, it's a really good one to read. Actually. I also think, uh, Dave Trottier's, um, I think it's called the screenwriter's Bible that, that is also like, if you're if you don't like Save the Cat, I think that that one kind of does the same thing in terms of giving you like a good overview of how a story is put together in a screenplay. Um, and then obviously I'm going to recommend my book because it also <laughs> does a similar thing um, where I, I tried to really give an overview of like, here's kind of the lay of the land and what you need to know and the steps to take your idea through to, you know, to basically develop it so that you can write a screenplay. Right. And then, of course, you just mentioned your book, that specifically being the screenplay outline work, uh, workbook. 
Yeah, that's it. Um, it's a much more interactive, <laughs> interactive book. It's um, because it's meant to be filled in and, and work your ideas out while you're reading it. Um, but, you know, to be totally honest, I encourage writers to read widely and to not, um, you know, consider one book the end all be all, because I really think that you you're going to serve yourself and your writing so much better if you create your own framework, like your own mental framework of how stories work, right? So read widely, see what mm. everyone says, and then create your own understanding of how a story works, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Now, all right, so here you are, you're, you're Joe Smith, and you've just written this kick-ass screenplay, and you feel really good. You've, you know, you've, you've done your research, you've, you feel like you've created a good story with good obstacles, what's the next step? Like, what do you, like, how does one get, get their, their opus out there to the, uh, to the, to the powers? What, what do they need to do? Like, what do you recommend? Well, I think the key is to have a lot of irons in the fire. And I mean that both in terms of like, don't rely on one script, have more than one thing that you're sort of proud of that you've spent time on and, and gotten to a point where you can show it to people. Um, cause it's not a lottery ticket. You know, if you're trying to become a screenwriter, like as a career, you have to be able to do it over again. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a repeatable process that you have to do. So don't rely on one script, but then also have lots of irons in the fire in terms of getting eyes on your script as well. So you know, apply for the legit fellowships and the programs that are run by like actual, you know, industry organizations or studios, um, you know, make a proof of concept. If you have that ability, um, team up with other people to, you know, do a podcast of your script or make a short film or film one scene or something like, um, network with people, you know, basically what I'm saying is like, don't rely on one strategy or one method, because I've seen so many writers break in sort of by surprise to them, if that makes sense. Like they, they just worked really hard and they put themselves out there in lots of different ways and they didn't know which one was going to work out, but one of them did. And more, more often than not, it seems like it's like a snowball effect. It's like they put themselves out there in lots of different ways. And then like, you know, they get a little traction here and they get a little traction over here and they get, you know, some attention from this place. And then they can use that as leverage when they're talking to other people like, oh, I placed in this contest or I, you know, was a finalist for this fellowship or whatever. And then that is leverage that then they can talk to people that they're networking with. And then those people might be open to reading their script because of that, you know, so it's a, it's a cumulative thing. So I think that I don't have the lottery ticket mentality is, is the best advice and just have lots of irons in the fire. I love that. No, that, that, I mean, that's great advice. Now, obviously, for somebody that's read, in your own words, you know, thousands of scripts, do you, what's the, I mean, if you're, if, you know, if you're able to say, or if it's actually even gone into a movie, or maybe it wasn't anything that you had your hands on, but you've read the screenplay and it did become a film, what do you, what's maybe the best screenplay you've ever read? Um, that is tough because I have read so many scripts and, you know, I've read a lot of really good scripts too. Um, and maybe even I, not even the best, maybe one that just stands out like, oh, that was really clever. Yeah. I remember, I remember the first script that I read that, that like gave me pause, you know what I mean? Where I was like, oh, that's what a script can be. Mm. Uh, and that was the script for Shattered Glass. 
So Billy Ray wrote and directed it. Um, I've only seen the movie once. I don't even remember if I liked the movie, but I remember reading that script and just being like, oh, okay. Oh, oh, that, hmm, that is unlike, you know, other scripts that I've read. Somehow it like engaged me more, you know, got me more emotionally invested, like hooked me and kind of like had me really um, sort of leaning in, wanting to find out what happened the whole way through, which was a surprise um, when I read it because I didn't know what to expect. So I remember that script distinctly sort of doing that. Um, And then more recently, I think uh, in, in the last couple of years, there was a script called Voicemails from Isabel that I read. I don't think it's been produced yet. That was just such a sort of surprising rom-com, <laughs> you know, it was like surprisingly good <laughs> as a rom-com, but mm. it's like, oh, that right. was, I really like that. Like it made me cry. It made me laugh. You know, it made me happy. Um, and, uh, and then there was also one, I think from last year called, um, the way you remember me, which I believe is in production or going into production. Um, and I just, I have high hopes for that movie because the script also made me cry. I don't know why that's my standard for it being a good script, but if it can, it can move me, you know, in script on the page, if that can move me to tears, I feel like that's an accomplishment, you know? Absolutely. I mean, emotion, right? I mean, that's what it's all about at the end of the day, whether it's, you know, it hits you in the heart or if it, if it just scares, you know, ever loving like piss out of you. Right. I mean, if you're reading something, creating some type of reaction or emotion, absolutely. Now, Obviously, you know, we as writers, we, we've heard this term, but just even like in casual discussion, there are a lot of people that don't know about the blacklist. And I was just wondering if you just might be able to enlighten some of the listeners what that what that even means, because I've referenced it on the show. And I don't know if I've ever actually kind of like gone over what what that even is. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so the blacklist. Well, so there are two two parts to the blacklist. There's there's a paid platform where screenwriters can get feedback and host their scripts as available, basically, and so that, you know, theoretically, like, industry people can go and read them and and you can connect with them that way. Um, so that's one side of it. But the, the annual blacklist is the original sort of thing. And that is, um, I think they bill themselves as, like, the annual list of the industries. Uh, favorite unproduced screenplays. So um, it started sort of organically as a way for like industry assistants and execs to kind of share, collect, uh, vote on, you know, their favorite scripts of the year and kind of look for good material. And it's really evolved since then. It's gotten, I think, pretty far away from that original intent. But it is still, you know, it is, um, it's a distinction and an accolade that, that does still mean something. It's, you know, if a writer makes it onto the blacklist, it's a, it's a good thing for their career. Uh, I'd, I'd like to kind of transition, but before I do, do you have like your own like preferred kind of genre that you, that you, that you like to read or even film or they become films? Do you have like a preferred kind of like genre that you even like to watch? Well, I do like horror a lot. Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm like a, you know, super knowledgeable horror fan. Like I, I don't have all like the minutia and the trivia in my head, like a lot of horror fans do. Um, but I do really like reading horror because when it's well-written, it's, you know, we were just talking about getting a reaction and, and, you know, um, moving someone with what's on the page and like horror can do that because you can, you can write things that are really evocative and scary on the page. And I grew up reading Stephen King too. So maybe that's why I love reading horror scripts, but, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, I really like reading horror because, you know, when you, 
when you feel yourself getting scared, it's like, you know, it's working. Um, and I like watching horror movies as well, but honestly, I like a good story in any genre. So it's, it's really, I'll watch anything with, with high hopes, you know? I got to know, like, as somebody that is a fan of Stephen King, like, what do you, do you have a favorite or what was the, to borrow the phrase from uh, the King cast, what was your, you know, what was your, your inception uh, to, to Stephen King? Like, what was your, your origin story, if you will? Yeah, it, a very strong memory. Also, <laughs> my, I told you, you know, my, we grew up reading in my family. Um, my parents kind of believed that and if you were reading, it was good for you. Like they, so they let me read anything I wanted. Um, when I was 11 years old, I read Christine and I could not go into the garage for a good six <laughs> months after that. Like I couldn't do it. I would open the door and I would stand like at the threshold of the garage and the, um, the light switch was across the room from the door. So I would open the door and just stare into the abyss and be completely, you know, scared out of my mind and unwilling to walk across in the dark to turn the light on. So I really, I couldn't go in the garage for like six months. Uh, <laughs> at, at 11 years old, I think it, it traumatized me, but it also probably shaped me in a, in a way, you know? I love that. I love that. Um, all right. Well, uh, Naomi, here we go. We're going to, let's get into talking about X. Why, why this film? Why did you want to talk about this today? You know, um, I have not seen a ton of movies lately that made me excited about movies. And this is, this is one of the few that I've seen, I, I'll say in the last few months that sort of re-inspired me, you know, made me kind of be like, oh, I do love movies, you know? Right. Um, it was just so different, I think, than what I was expecting. You know, I love horror, so I, I will watch kind of any horror movie. Um, I'm not as big of a fan of just like straight slasher or kind of like, you know, torture porn or anything like that. Like, I've seen plenty of it. And, you know, like I said, my, my criteria really is a good movie. And so, or sorry, a good story. And so a lot of times those are a little bit more just about the kills, which, you know, I like an inventive kill as much as the next person, but like, I kind of want a story to go along with it. And I feel like, I feel like X delivered on that. Like it delivered characters that I was interested in and, and cared about and charmed by, and it delivered stuff to think about like underneath the horror stuff but then also it was just a really fun horror movie on top of it you know mm -hmm. for the listeners that maybe haven't seen the film do you feel comfortable enough with giving like a like a just a like a cliff notes uh summary about what the film's about uh sure it's um set in 1979 and it's about a group a small group of uh a small group of people who set out to make a porn movie on an isolated texas farm or ranch, maybe farm, I guess. And, um, and killing ensues. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, I mean, that's, that sums it up. Yeah. That sums it up. Um, when let's see, because obviously, I mean, the movie is, is fairly recent unless you're listening to this 10 years from now, but I mean, when, you know, when did, did you see this in the theater or did you just recently, like see it just like streaming or how, like how did your eyes get on this film? Yeah. I just heard about it one day. Um, uh, maybe gosh, a, a week ago or a couple weeks ago or something. I just oh, wow. heard about it. I didn't even know that it existed and I went home and, and rented it and watched it. And, 
was immediately like, oh, okay, that changes everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, obviously the the plot is what it is, which I mean, you you, you kind of like hit a home run on what because you said it moved you. Like what what stuck out about this movie specifically that that has created this kind of uh, fascination over the past, in your case, you know, week, two weeks or whatnot. Yeah, I, I really think it comes down to the characters and sort of two aspects of the way the characters were handled. One, just being that, like I said, I found the characters really charming. Like, I really liked them. Um, I thought they, I felt like they had much more personality <laughs> than we usually get in, in kind of like straight slasher horror movies. Um, so I really liked that about it. And it made it fun to watch because I actually enjoyed spending time with them and um, found them interesting. Um, and then also what I thought was so clever about doing that was that I didn't know who was going to die. So I I went into the movie cold. I knew nothing about the story. And then I liked all of the characters, you know what I mean? And so I didn't know who was going to be the final girl or who was, you know, the expendable. And I didn't know if they were going to lean into the tropes or subvert them. And so that made it really fun too, because I think, you know, the, the problem with some, kind of more standard horror fare is that you know immediately who's going to survive and who who's dying, right? And you're just kind of waiting to see who dies first and how it happens. But with mm-hmm. this one, I genuinely did not know how it was going to turn out. And that made it fun to watch as well because it was that suspense, you know, all the way through. Yeah, um, completely agree. Now, when, I mean, I, I guess more or less you just kind of answered this because when I watch a movie, I still kind of have that that screenwriter's like hat on as far as, you know, all right, this is like the beat that's going on here. Now we're transitioning from this to that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I was going to say, I guess really the question was, you know, did this movie kind of like play with those expectations? And in, in this case, they seem definitively yes, that they played with those expectations that they kind of you know took you for a ride that you weren't expecting. Yeah. And I think that another thing that it did, I mean, I, I really think this movie subverted a lot of the sort of like, you know, in, in air quotes, the rules that we're told that you have to adhere to when you're writing a script. And, and really the only rule there is, is that you have to entertain, you know, your audience enough that they (laughs) stick with you. Right. Like that's the bottom line. And so I think that this, I think that X broke a lot of the, you know, so-called rules, but it did it in a way that, I was totally on board. I wanted to see what would happen next. I felt I felt sort of like in it with, you know, with the filmmakers, like I'm rooting for them to pull this off because I want to be entertained. Um, And all of that really worked for it. Like, you know, another thing that I thought was really interesting about the movie is that um, for a horror movie, there was like zero killing in the first half. You know what I mean? There were, mm. there were mm-hmm. the, the first body didn't hit the ground until like the midpoint of the movie or just after it. So second half is when all the killing happens. Sorry if we're spoiling this for everyone, but right. hopefully they're, they watch the movie in advance. Um, we get a little hint, you know, we know kind of what happens because we have the, the, teaser scene at the front, right? With the cops. And then, and you get a little bit of blood with the cow on the highway. But other than that, all of the suspense is just, you know, build up of that tension of like, who's going to die first and like, what's going to happen, you know, Mm -hmm. the killing all happens in the second half, which is unusual for a horror movie. For sure. For sure. And now, I mean, we're starting to see it a little bit more in that whole kind of uh, elevated horror, like trope or whatnot, which I might want to get into in a couple of minutes. But 
what I loved, I missed it the first time that I watched it. I just thought it was just kind of like fun. It's like, all right, they're, they're kind of near Louisiana, but the, instead of doing like a Chekhov's gun, they do kind of like a Chekhov's alligator, which like, the, <laughs> like one of the opening scenes in the movie is when they're leaving like the, the strip club or whatever it is, they open the door and they shut it. And it's like a gator, you know, biting at someone. And, you know, like when they shut the door, it's literally coming out of a gator. And it's like, all right, someone at some point, I missed it the first time until, you know, you, you saw uh, one of the characters in, in that little lake or whatever. And there's a great shot, of, like the gator, like following her behind. And you're like, mm. oh, she's about to eat it. You know, she's about to get like in deep shit. But, um, and that doesn't necessarily happen. Spoiler. But you know, at some point that gator is going to like, you know, someone's gonna become gator bait, which is obviously like an homage to, you know, other films that, that existed in the you know seventies and eighties. But I guess another element, and I apologize just for talking and going on a rant, but I'll do that from time to time is <laughs> that this movie does pay a lot of like homage to, to, uh, different, different films. Obviously the movie's about the porn industry and, um, and, and talking about the, the rise of that, but also, you know, uh, alligator. And then, I mean, the direct, direct, obvious parallels between this and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I, I, I just, I, I, for me, what I love about the story is and how it was told. And I, I just love the, the brain behind it in Ty West. I, I don't know if you've seen, you know, House of the Devil or The Innkeepers, or if you're familiar with any of his work at all. Have you, have you, I'm, was this I'm your introduction? Familiar. Yeah, I'm familiar with him. But I, as I was looking through his credits, I was like, oh, I've actually never seen any of his movies. I, I know the name and I sort of know that group that he kind of came up with, but I've seen some of the TV that he's directed, mm. like he's directed episodes of, of shows, you know, but, right. um, but those aren't his like sort of, you know, auteur vision or whatever. Um, so, you know, funny enough, I, I was so familiar with the name that I was sure I must've seen his movies before. And then when I looked at his credits, I was like, Nope, just, just that one. So. I mean, everything he's done, it definitely has a real value to it. House of the devil like this is very, very specifically stylized, but instead of it taking place in the seventies, this one takes place in the eighties and, it looks very, very 80s and just everything about the movie. But it, it's a simple story where this one, I think, is uh, just a larger, larger scale of everything that he was doing. And now there's a prequel film that's going to be coming out uh, in relation to that, which I, I can't. I can't stress enough how excited I am. Just And, and I'm kind of iffy when it comes to prequels anyway, just you know, Star Wars kind of just rubbed me the wrong way 20 some odd years ago. And <laughs> I'm pretty excited about the prequel too. And, you know, as you can tell, I, I don't really necessarily like become a fan of a, of a particular universe or a particular filmmaker and then <clears throat> seek out all of their, all of their work. But, um, but I am just hearing about well, the the actress playing both roles in this movie made me curious about the prequel so mm -hmm. were you able to figure that out as you're watching because i i really try to go into this movie completely blind and i remember you know when the the old lady was introduced i'm like there's something I'm like that's i'm pretty sure that's a young actress playing an old person but i i couldn't quite figure out it took me it took me a minute to kind of like uh, put my head around it i don't know if that if you had a similar experience 
I didn't know until after I'd seen the movie. And then, mm. um, funny enough, I, so I told you I went home and I rented it and I watched it. And uh, my husband was asleep while I was watching it. And he woke up at the very end and he was like, oh, now I have to watch this movie because he only <laughs> saw the last five minutes. And he was like, great, now I have to watch this movie. And so he watched it. And because I saw it again while he was watching it, that was when I finally noticed. I was like, oh, I think, I think that might be the same actress I totally missed it the first the first time around which I think says a lot for the um the makeup job and the prosthetics and everything that's right used. uh for the listeners just to kind of talk a little bit about even the cast because we've kind of talked about the plot but uh this is a movie that stars uh Martin Henderson Brittany Snow if you watched oh shit what were those musical films called I completely forgot I lost it pitch perfect uh, pitch perfect thank you uh Mia Goth Jenna Ortega and uh, Scott Mascuti, or Kid Cudi, uh, for those that you know, are familiar with his work. And of course, written and directed by Ty West. Uh, an A24 flick, made about $14.3 million in the box office. So not necessarily a lot of money, but I imagine based on, on the, the budget, that's okay. Tomato meter on Rotten Tomatoes, 95%. And wow. like many other quote, elevated horror films, it has a substantially lower audience score at 75%, which is still very, very respectable. But what I'm always fascinated by is, and I don't know in your circles if you use the term elevated horror films at all, or if you, know, if you hear other people talking about it, but it just seems obviously over the past decade, that's, that's, a, that's a, a phraseology that's just really, really boomed. And we've kind of talked a little bit, even without necessarily applying a term to it, just an idea of uh, horror film that revolves more around story as opposed to just, you know, like scares and whatnot. And I'm just curious what your what your thoughts are on that, what you're seeing in your circle, what what people have to say about it just as a whole. What what do you, what do you know about the term? Yeah, it, you know, what's funny is I um, I didn't realize that that was a term that sort of the horror fandom community had used and and kind of from what I understand, uh, there's some backlash against the idea of like elevated horror, right? Uh, I was only familiar with the term elevated horror because you hear so often in the industry, people, you know, like buyers at production companies and whatnot looking for elevated horror. They're like, we want to do a horror movie, but we want elevated horror, you know, or like, what are you looking for? Oh, we're looking for elevated horror or like psychological thriller or, you know, female lead uh, psychological thriller and stuff like that. So it's like a term that you hear people use in a positive way, I think, in the industry more than more than anything else. And then so I was really surprised to hear that there's this, like, for the true diehard horror fans, there's a little bit of a like, what are you talking about elevated horror? That's not true horror. And or like, it's, you know, horror has always been elevated, you just didn't recognize it or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's funny just because we're, you know, just even like casually talking about, about like backlash. I mean, I mean, one of like the, the classic examples is uh, just in within the past five, six years is take a movie like Hereditary, right? This is a movie that people were looking like, well, Tony Collette very well, maybe nominated for an Oscar based on her performance, her performance. And it has a fantastic just story arc and everything about it. I mean, and maybe I'm speaking personally because I think the movie is just absolutely brilliant. And, and then there are a lot of people, a lot of audience members that were just like, what the shit is this? You know, this is completely not at all 
what I thought this is going to be. And it was completely different. And I, I, I'm just intrigued by that, that disparity from just where, what isn't necessarily connecting. And I mean, these are still movies that are, you know, still considered good, but again, there, there's just this major, major gap between what, what so-called experts think versus what the those that are paying consumers are for this 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 type of entertainment. I was just wondering if you had any thoughts at all. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm curious what your thoughts are. I I wonder if it's if it's a matter of um, <laughs> remember that question we started with, which was like, who's the audience for this, right? Mm. I wonder if the horror audience or a portion or a majority of the horror audience goes to see a horror movie because they want the cheap thrills and the sort of fun kills, you know, and Mm -hmm. maybe they're just not really looking for the hereditary story or the um, Midsommar or Babadook or whatever. Although that one I thought was pleasing for everyone across the board if you're into the genre. Um, So I wonder if it's just, if it's just that, if it's like I wanted, you know, I wanted a McDonald's cheeseburger and what I got was like, a cheeseburger that a chef had to put, you know, rocket green on with tweezers or something like that. <laughs> like I, it was just what it was the same thing, but in theory, but it wasn't what I wanted. You know, I wonder if there's an element of that, but what do you think? What do I think? I, I mean, like I ask these questions because I want to know what other people have to say. And then I'm never prepared to answer them <laughs> when they're like repositioned back at me. But I I'm I'm truly sincerely fascinated just because I, I use that movie as an example and I've got several others that I'll reference like It Follows and a couple other movies that have that that same kind of tr- uh, title uh, thrust upon them. Um, I like you. I think the I, I think that McDonald's analogy does work really well in that there are certain expectations that people have because I mean they've been they they got it in droves in the 80s and 90s now granted i love a lot of those movies as well but i mean shoot even if you go to say i mean you could probably say one of like the original elevated horror films ever made might be psycho right i mean the first kill doesn't happen until like this movie well well over halfway through the film and then it completely turns what the movie is all about now, people knew that the movie was psycho and there would be a killer, but I, I don't think that this woman, you know, running out of town, you know, holding on to money, that those expectations would get completely thrown out, you know, out the window. And her story means nothing to the, the overall plot of the film. But I think something happened. Maybe it had to do with home video uh, that. You know, you, you were getting these shock and awe factors that were happening 10, 15 minutes into the movie and they were recurring. And whether that was a slasher film or whether that was paranormal or, you know, uh, or even the you know, 21st century and, and found footage that that they, they just became used to that, as opposed to now a lot of this so-called elevated horror does seem to go back to a lot of these horror films from the 60s and 70s. I mean, you know, like take another film like Suspiria or you know, any, any of these movies that really rely so much more on, I mean, the shining is another example, right? I mean, there's nothing really freaky that happens. We, we know that we can't trust Jack, but you know, it, it takes a while before the carnage happens or in some, I mean, really at the end of the day, I mean, 
um, no living person dies in the shining until two hours into the movie. Right. So it's, it, it is fascinating, but I do personally get agitated when people are like, I didn't like that because it wasn't scary. It's like, what wasn't scary about it? Like, what did, you know, like, did you just want, what, 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 yeah. What were your expectations? Were, did you want a McDonald's cheeseburger, which by the way, are delicious in their own right, by the way. Uh, or did you want that 20, that $20, like farm to table cheeseburger with, you know, your, 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 your fancy, like accoutrement, you know, like what, you know, right. what, what is it that you wanted? I don't know. I don't yeah. even know if I answered that question, but yeah, no, you did. And, and I, I do agree with you as well. I think that, um, there's a, it's, it's hard there. It's hard to kind of put both types of movie almost in the same genre, you know, and obviously it's subgenres and whatnot, but it's, it's almost hard to talk about them the same way because the way that they entertain is so different. And that's really what a genre is, right? It's like, where's the entertainment coming from? What type of entertainment are we getting? And in a, you know, so-called elevated horror or a more like psychological kind of based scare, right? Movie. Um, the entertainment is coming from the dread that's like leading up to like, you know, something bad is going to happen, but when is it going to happen and how is it going to happen? Like there's so much tension there where I think the, you know, the um, kind of more traditional horror, straight horror, and especially like slasher movies, it's all about the jump scare. It's all about like catching you off guard and, and, you know, kind of like, I call it cheap thrills. I enjoy it too, but you know, but it's a little bit less, um, it's less about your, I think, investment in the story and more about just the the kind of immediate response of like someone, you know, speaking up behind you. Um, so it's a different type of entertainment. It's almost like you can't, you kind of can't compare one to the other, you know? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, before we transition into the the final act of our discussion, um, I, I, I am curious, was there anything else about the film that maybe you wanted to talk about, whether the stylistic approach, the acting, the the blood, your favorite kill without spoiling anything, the the ending with the the revelation on what we're seeing on TV, uh, or like the TV screens mirror, we're not necessarily mirror, but play actual significance to what's actually happening. Was there anything that you wanted to talk about without maybe Gosh, spoiling or if you just say screw it, you know, spoil we've it. We've spoiled so much. I don't, <laughs> I think we've spoiled everything. I will say, uh, I think my favorite kill was, um, what was her, what was her name? The church mouse. Uh, mm-hmm. I forgot her name in the L- Lorraine, maybe in, yeah. in the movie, uh, just because it was, it was funny. <laughs> it was yeah. almost played for laughs, you know? Um, so I liked that. I enjoyed that quite a bit. The one that made my husband say, Oh, I have to watch this movie now was the, was, um, the very end, you know, oh, the, right. with the, with the truck, with the truck. Yeah. I'm trying not to spoil him. Um, but, uh, you know, I think what's really interesting about this movie and we don't have to go into this because this is a very long conversation that there's so much, um, I think to, think about and to talk about with regard to kind of the gender roles and the treatment mm. of women and kind of the, in the era and even as it's applicable today and kind of what we're saying about, you know, how women are, are looked at with regard to sex and all this stuff. And separate from that, also the old people having sex, like there's so much to talk about with this movie. Like I said, I won't make you go into it because I just feel like it's that's part of what makes this movie so fun is that there is so much to think about in it as well. 
Yeah. And, and Naomi, I'm, I'm so sorry. Like, yeah, we're, you know, uh, 40 some <laughs> odd minutes into it. I haven't even gone into really what this movie, what this movie is actually trying to discuss in the film. So, I mean, we don't have to take a deep dive. I mean, that that's maybe, maybe that is the element to really, that's, you don't want to necessarily spoil because that is at its core what this movie is all about. Right. And yeah, I agree. You know, we, we, we talk about that whole idea of like the, the male gaze and, and, and this movie it's, it, you know, again, it's it just, it's, it's utilized, but then there, there's just this other element that, that, that is being this, uh, explored and just really the, the gender roles of just women. I mean, this, I, 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 I don't want to necessarily call this movie kind of like a feministic approach, but seeing that there's a lot of, you know, uh, uh, you know, topless <laughs> women activity going on, sure. but who are our protagonists and what are they actually really, what are they exploring? What is it that's important to them? What are the, the emotional journeys that they're going through? And it's quite genius by, by Ty West. Um, and it, it's, it really is fascinating and the, the approach. And there's definitely probably somebody's college term paper that they will make about this movie inevitably. Right. I mean, there's, I want to write that term paper. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot to unpack with this movie and it's far more interesting than the kills, which they're, they're great. And the, the homages and the, the look and the, 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 you know, everything that they're, that they're addressing and the fact that they're, they're, they're tackling this, this, this boom of this VHS uh, commodity that that's being introduced but really what this movie is about is what's going on with, uh, with, with the ladies here, you know, what's going on with Pearl, what's going on, uh, with, with Lorraine, what's going on with, uh, was it Bobby Lynn? Uh, oh yeah. Bobby Lynn, I think. Yeah. And, and then, uh, of course our, well, actually I don't want to call her the final. Well, I guess, I mean, yeah, she's a final girl. Um, and I, uh, um, Maxine, right. I mean, so those, yeah. Those four four female characters in this. I mean, that's you get different to use an Alfred, another Alfred Hitchcock movie. It's kind of rear window esque in the way that the the different identities that these female like characters, what they're really embodying. These four different uh, women. There's just different site, you know, different specific uh, themes that they're that they're exploring with each of these four women, which is really really genius. And again, I mean, it's, it's somebody else's college term paper. I don't know. Maybe I'll write a blog about it. I don't know, (laughs) but it is the most interesting element of the film. Certainly. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, um, I really felt like, so because I'm unfamiliar with Ty West movies, right. I had, this is the first one of his that I've seen. I had that feeling of like, okay, is he that smart or am I reading way too much into this movie? Like, was that stuff intentional? Because I feel like it's, it's really rich, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the, all of those kind of like subtextual things are really fascinating. And, but then of course I, I always have that feeling a little bit of like, wait, am I just seeing that because I'm a woman? And so I'm like reading into kind of the relationships and the way the men are treating the women and, you know, and stuff like that. But uh, I'm glad you saw it too, is my point. <laughs> Yeah, no. And, and, um, like I said, for those that haven't seen it, watch the movie because of that. But again, um, I, I loved House of the Devil. I thought it was really, really fascinating. But last night I went back to watch The Innkeepers, which is an earlier. Well, actually, I think it might have done it after House of the Devil. I think it came out, but I it, it's new to me. But I think it came out like 2011, 2012. And 
it's a story of the, the a couple of like twenty somethings that are hanging out in a hotel that's closing down. It's run. It's been around forever, and it's closing down. It's like the final like forty eight hours of this hotel, and and explores these two people that live there and the very very few people that are staying there in its like final weekend. And there's this really interesting passage that and Kelly McGillis is in it, which uh, you know I hadn't. Hadn't seen her in anything since Top Gun, right? And she's, you know, I was like, wait, is that Kelly McGillis? Yeah, it's Kelly McGillis. And she has this really interesting exchange with our protagonist, which is, hey, you know, this is, it, this hotel's closing, what's next? And her, the our protagonist's response is really quite interesting. And you don't really necessarily think much about it until when the final credits roll. And then you realize, man, what I just saw was something completely different than everything else. I, th- I mean, you just think maybe it's a ghost film and in, in, in all intents and purposes it is, but there's a lot going on under the surface and the movie is really, is actually really kind of like a, a, a piece on depression and not necessarily knowing what, what's, you know, what is our next step? Who am I? What am I going to become? What is, who am I? Right. And it is fascinating and that's one of the elements that I do why I am drawn to good horror films is, and just even really good drama in general is you watch a movie for a good ride. And then when the credits rolled and not only how the characters are changed, but how your perception of what the film has completely changed that you learn something of like, Oh, this is really what this movie is about. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I love as much, you know, I love a M night Shyamalan twist at the end as much as the next person. I'll never forget the <laughs> sure. first time I saw the sixth sense, but just that, 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 that moment that you have at the end, like, Oh, Oh, not just, I get it. Like, Oh, I, you know, I figured out the plot, but like, Oh, I get what they're really trying to say about this movie. I just had a fun ghost story, but really the ghost story is nothing. I just watch a really cool movie about aspiring porn people, but that's not what this movie is really about. Oh, that's genius. Yeah. And that's, that's what I, that what I'm drawn to. So yeah, definitely take a look at his. I'm not gonna, um, you know, try to hype him too much. I, I have no personal like financial investment <laughs> trying to, uh, get anybody to watch his stuff on Tubi or whatever it's streaming on, but whatever. Yeah. I, you know, I mentioned earlier that this was one of the few recent movies that really made me excited about, um, about movies. And it also made me miss seeing movies in the theater because I haven't done that in so long, you know, um, just pandemic wise, we're all locked down and everything. And then I just kind of haven't gotten back into the habit of it. I've been streaming everything, which is great. I love being in the comfort of my own home, but, um, I, this movie made me want to go see movies with friends so that you can talk about it afterwards, you know? Right. right. All right. With my final uh, couple seconds and I apologize, I know I've kept you, uh, kept you for a minute tonight. So thank you for hanging out. I've absolutely adored, uh, this, this hour. It's been a lot of fun chatting with you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Like I said, I can, I can talk about screenwriting or movies all day. It's pretty much the only thing I do talk about. So, you know, uh, (laughs) in the future, if you ever get stuck and need a guest, let me know. (laughs) I love it. I love it. If you wouldn't mind, uh, just on a little wrap up, you know, what, uh, what do you, what do you got? What, what's cooking for you? What, what's next for you? Um, let's see. Well, uh, the book just came out. So that was kind of my big project of, of recent, uh, 
time, recent days. Um, so I'm, um, I'm now updating my new workshop or I'm updating an old workshop to, to make it more current, um, which is kind of about the same, the same topic, actually, it's called idea to outline. So that's kind of what I'm working on now. And then just, um, you know, helping clients get their, get their scripts into shape. All right. Well, I know it is, um, I mean, plenty of sunshine out over there, but it's getting late. You go do your thing. It was a pleasure. Thank you again for having me. This was a really super fun conversation. I'm so glad that uh, we were able to do it. And thanks. Thanks again. And bye everyone. Bye-bye now. Again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you goes out to Naomi for being on the show. I had a wonderful time. Unfortunately, we had a few technical difficulties. Uh, lost a little bit of audio through no fault of anybody's other than technology. But fortunately, we kept the overwhelming majority, but there was just a, a few little bits there at the end that unfortunately just did not make the recording. That's okay. That's okay. I think, I think, I think this episode still delivers. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did do us a favor, leave a little review you can do so on my website, Sanford Cinema. Is that SanfordCinema.com? I guess it is. Yeah, my website. Uh, I had to pause. I'm like, is it really that simple? Yes, it is that simple. My website is SanfordCinema.com. Hop on there and leave a little review. If you want to donate, you can. Of course, I never ask for donations, but uh, that'd be cool if you did. Anyway, this has been fun. I've had a lot of good, good times here. If you want to check out Naomi's book, take a look in the show notes. I've got links to that, as well as a link to my website, stamperscinema.com. And that's it. That's all I've got for you. I'm excited. This is October. We have kickstarted our month-long series of horror film discussions. And we've got a really, really exciting month for you. So be on the lookout. Uh, be on the lookout. And... We'll catch you on the next one. Have a great day, everybody. And thank you, as always, for listening to Stamper Cinema. Cinema.